Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on weird professor emails, handkerchiefs, or handkerchiefs, vaccine etiquette, and declining invitations. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, we talk about checking blood sugar in public. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on the cocktail hour. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. <laughs> we have two very different topics under our intros. <laughs> They're kind of related. Dan's calling himself a CSA grill master, and I've got backyard wedding. <laughs> I was thinking it's, it's backyard themes. I was grilling in there the backyard. Go. There you go. There you go. I love our CSA. We've talked about it on the show before. You and I split a share at one point. For those who don't know, CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And it is one of the delightful treats about summer in Vermont because all the farms kick into gear. And the idea behind a Community Supported Agriculture or CSA is that you buy a share at a farm. So you're paying a farmer or a farm directly and then you get either a box of vegetables delivered to your office or a drop-off point weekly, the one that Lizzie and I both belong to, you go to the farm and it's a combination of you you get your vegetables that are already picked, but you also get to go out into the fields. And there are some <laughs> things where you can pick as much as you want, green beans at a certain time of the season, basil. I yeah. love the tomatillos because I do tomatillo salsa that I freeze. For the winter, and yeah. And use all winter long. Right now, the herb garden is just bumping. And it's one of my favorite things because I go and I get fistfuls of fresh herbs and it makes grilling so much fun (laughs) i bet it does you get all those fresh seasoned flavors and everything i love it because you just you have all this fresh produce and as a mostly vegetarian despite the numerous dips into meat in the past month it's really nice having such fresh produce i mean you really do taste the difference and i i love it i'm a big fan of grilling as well and so it's often you know just what what marinade do i want to put on things before grilling them up and getting them ready for big salad (laughs) olive oil salt pepper onto the grill good to go Mm. (laughs) so Yes, the CSA Grillmaster was very happy with last <laughs> night's dinner and wanted to bring it up on the show today. He's third-personing it. 
But I'm curious. We heard about the wedding last show. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I want to know how it went. It was beautiful. So one of the things that I loved about this wedding was that it was so casual. At first I was like, oh, do I have to throw in a dress? And then I was like, no, you really don't. And I just went up in the, the skirt I had been wearing for the day. Um, I did bring the wedding cake, which was really fun. It turned out very well. I was very happy with it. It stood up to the heat. It, it stood up to the heat. I, I kept it cool in the car on the way up. It was it was a good adventure. Good. But it was a super casual wedding. You know, there was just a classic kind of, you know, like a seven-layer dip on a table and some chips and salsa and things like that. Very casual, easy hors d'oeuvres. And then everyone had brought a dish. And so it was, I think, mac and cheese and a bunch of big different salads. And they were doing ribs and cheeseburgers on the grill. So there was just a lot of different stuff to choose from. But it kind of just all got set out on the table with paper plates and, and you know, disposable forks and, and spoons and things. And everyone just kind of took when they wanted. And it was very backyard, very backyard feel without any, I mean, they didn't even cut the cake. It was like, you know, it was very casual, help yourself, whatever you want to do, that kind of an experience. It was great. And it felt like the bride and groom got to interact with friends and family Absolutely. and do the things people oh, look to do at a wedding reception. They were smiling and talking to everyone the whole the whole evening long. There was one round of sort of toasts and they looked really happy. They had already changed out of their wedding attire and into they they decided to wear matching Hawaiian shirts. It was very cute. I would got to say they looked pretty sharp as a couple with the like hers was kind of like fitted and like tied up real cute with some really high-waisted pants and it was an outfit. I loved it. You were asking me if I danced at weddings oh, last yeah, time. Yeah. Did you dance? There was no dancing at this wedding. No. Um, there wasn't. There was music for sure. I'm sure there was dancing much later. There was cornhole, which I didn't make it onto the cornhole board before I ended up having to leave. So I didn't get to play. I still had fun watching other people play. And I often gravitate towards kids at weddings. So the bride's sister has a really cute little girl who I've spent time with before. And so I was hanging out with her and we were traveling. Traveling around, asking people questions, and, nice. and then we had a sticker board we were playing with that I'm sure you probably have in your house. <laughs> um, but it was really fun. It was really casual. It is possible to do a kind of a wedding that really is a casual backyard wedding. And I really wanted to use this example to encourage folks that do what is going to make you feel married. We talked about that, I think, on the last show even. Yeah. And really, my sister gave herself this advice. She's given a lot of brides this advice. And what I loved is that Jenny and Frank really felt married at the end of the day. They felt married their way. And I think that's what's really important. I'm reminded of that early Emily Post book about weddings. It might even been the first edition of Etiquette where she describes the three different kinds That's of weddings. the first edition of Etiquette, yeah. And one is a very formal city affair. And then the third example is the country wedding. And Emily says that's her favorite. Yeah. And what you're describing sounds to me a little bit like the modern day version of that country wedding that Emily described back in 22. So. I think so. I think so. Well, stepping out of our backyards, shall we get into some questions? Let's do it. 
Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. And on Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, remember to put sustaining members somewhere in your message. We'll answer your question on the sustaining members site where you can access an ads-free version of the show and all your bonus questions. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Weird Professor Email. Hello, Etiquette Squad. I like that. I like squad. I'll be on the squad. I'll be on a squad. I will be a second-year law student this coming fall. This summer, I was lucky enough to be able to participate in a month-long study abroad program in Italy. The program has unfortunately come to an end, leaving us students to write our final papers. I emailed my professor asking if I could change the pre-approved topic of my paper, closing my email with, I hope you're enjoying the rest of your summer, Susan. I got an affirmative response about the topic change, but it was signed, I hope your summer is going better than mine, Professor Stevens. In my year-long experience in law school, emails between students and professors are usually fairly formal, but the overall tone of the Italian classes was far less formal than the class setting back home. For example, everything was on ish time, so being late for class because the metro wasn't on schedule was an acceptable excuse. 
We went to the local swimming hall with our professors after class and drank wine for hours almost every day, which led to much more personal conversations than would happen in the halls of a law school. Not knowing an answer when you are cold-called was met with the professor moving on to the next person if you were unprepared. This does not happen in quote-unquote real-life law school. You get the picture. So this being said, I know a little bit about some things going on in my professor's life. Recent injury, family serious health issue. So I can speculate as to what she might be referring to with her email signature. But I don't know for sure. I also don't know what my place is as her student, especially now that we are off our Italian wine and sunshine high, to insert myself into that comment. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I'm having trouble balancing a response that is neither prying nor ignoring. Thanks in advance, Anonymous. Anonymous, I don't think that you're overthinking it. I think paying attention to these subtleties are important, and that's what we think of as good etiquette and good social awareness, emotional intelligence. Agreed. At the same time, I don't think that email closings is necessarily the place where you want to be having an extended discussion about more serious issues. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, I would think about it. I would acknowledge to myself that this is happening, but I wouldn't feel like I am compelled to engage in a back and forth in email signatures. In fact, I think that you're thinking about this and framing it around the standards and norms for students and professors at law school interacting is the smart way to think about it. And you want to stick to those traditions and structures as much as possible. And when the deviations happen, you acknowledge them, you let that register, but then also stick to those norms as much as possible. I think that typically we say you go formal when you're unsure. I also think that here you haven't been given much to go on. It's not like you're in that moment with the professor where they are describing what's going on. You'd be drawing on assumptions from past conversations. And I think that's never as safe territory as responding to what's right in front of you. If your professor had written something like, oh, you know, thank you for the hope. I I really need it now. Like we've had X, Y, Z going on. Then I think you've been invited into a little bit of a conversation about it and responding with something. It would make sense. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I know we had spoken about it earlier this summer. I'm going to keep hoping that things get better for you. But you didn't get that. Instead, you got got a, you know, your, hope your summer's going better than mine. That's very vague. I think you just let it go and your next response just has a nice friendly close again. You don't have to do, I hope your summer's going better. Um, I might, in fact, stay away from that topic at this point. But I think that this is one of those places where ignoring it is probably fine and your social obligation doesn't seem to be there based on the conversation from the previous letter. Anonymous, we're really glad that you had such a great summer and sorry that it, unfortunately, as all summers do, has to come to an end. But we're confident that you will move forward and continue a good relationship with this professor. To develop the art of teaching takes years of practice and hard work, many mistakes and many disappointments. Above all, it demands that a teacher care that the boys and girls who are our future shall develop their potentialities and acquire the knowledge to fit them to make satisfactory lives for themselves. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This question is titled Handkerchiefs. Hi, Awesome Etiquette. Just thought of something I would love to hear you geek out about. In order to be less wasteful, I just ordered a stack of vintage handkerchiefs. I'm so excited to buy fewer tissues. What are the present-day rules for handkerchiefs? My thinking is that I should only use them at home or among close friends, since they might seem gross to others. Does that seem right? Any other thoughts? Thanks so much for your work, and have a wonderful weekend. Best, Jane. Jane, thank you so much for writing this. Now, you say handkerchief. I say handkerchief. 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 It's like, and I don't know who's right or wrong. Have fun debating that out, audience. (laughs) But I noticed that when you were saying it. Handkerchiefs. So, handkerchiefs. (laughs) Handkerchief? Handkerchief. We'll try trading and see how it goes. I'll just giggle the whole episode. Um, Okay. When it comes to handkerchiefs, the only thing that I know is that you don't hand someone a previously used handkerchief. That if you're going to offer it to someone else, you always offer them a clean, unused one and you mention that. I would never take my handkerchief that I had blown my nose or like dotted my eyes if I was, you know, crying or something like that with and hand that to someone. Am I correct? Because I've never used them. (laughs) I, I would go even further and say you might offer for them to keep it. Interesting. Because I don't necessarily want you to give it back to me once it's been used either. That is always a comedic moment in a lot of like movies and shows, right? Where the person like does the big honking nose blow and then hands the handkerchief back and the other person's kind of like, oh, wait a second. That didn't quite work. Now I've got this dirty handkerchief. There's something really generous No, you about keep it. <laughs> not giving it back, but giving it to someone and saying, please keep it, use it. It's It's for you. Boy, that might change the the type of handkerchief you choose to purchase. Well, it's nice to get a stack of vintage handkerchiefs <laughs> for just that reason. Um, but you should. But when you get that stack, you're saying you should feel comfortable if you're going to loan one out of, for, to actually be giving it away, and that might change someone's like decision as to whether even to make the offer. I mean, if my vintage handkerchief gifs you know are something i cherish and don't want to give away or if there's something that i'm you know not financially you know as as well off and so i don't love just giving things away <laughs> that i've been paying for it that it would definitely hamper my decision to even offer a handkerchief i'd be like so where's the nearest tissue <laughs> like it's funny you should mention it because the first handkerchief that i carried <laughs> Was a vintage handkerchief that our grandmother had embroidered. Totally. And I got a couple of them. They're kind of prized possessions. And when I first got an iPhone, this was sort of a funny new world meets old world moment. I didn't have a case for it and I would wrap it in one of these Mm -hmm. embroidered handkerchiefs. And it worked really well. It kept it protected in my pocket. But I also found that I liked carrying it that yeah. it came in useful in all kinds of situations you wore glasses back then i could clean my glasses yeah. it wasn't just blowing my nose that i found having a little piece of cloth really useful for carrying it all the time it started to get dingy it started to get wore out i ended up getting a set of newer ones that 
I was more comfortable using day to day. I really like it. I think it's a nice thing for all of those reasons. Just to have on you. I liked, from an etiquette perspective, you're focusing on it being gross or potentially gross. <laughs> because that <laughs> Sorry, is the one place <laughs> where you could run into some awkwardness or where your use of it could be seen as not classy and retro, but as... Here, borrow my snot rag. Kind of disgusting. <laughs> really gross. Even if you're just repeatedly using it, yeah. and the impression that someone's getting is that's a dirty handkerchief that getting they keep dirtier. blowing their nose and putting in their pocket or purse and comes back out again, and it, it starts to be something that distracts from you. So there could be an etiquette to even how you hold and use your handkerchief. I'm curious. I want to definitely hear from some of you out there who use handkerchiefs or handkerchiefs and how you like to function with them, what you've noticed being a regular wearer of them. Dan shared his thoughts, especially at how convenient they are and how kind of nice it is to carry them, but that there's this reality to them, too, because they're not disposable. It's that non-disposable aspect that Jane has also keyed in on that she thinks of this as good for the planet. And I really like that. That was an advantage that I hadn't thought about and hadn't occurred to me until we got this question. We will be so excited to hear from you. Jane, thank you so much. This has given us a ton to think about. Right. Use tissues instead of handkerchiefs. That way you'll dispose of the germs much better than when you blow them into a handkerchief. Our next question is about vaccine etiquette. Hi, Lizzie and Daniel. My daughter is two months old and just starting to get her vaccinations from her doctor. The area where we live has recently had a measles outbreak, and she's still too young to get that vaccine. My question for you is, how do I ask people if their kids are vaccinated? For my closest friends, I know what they think and that their kids have received their vaccinations. However, for people that I don't know well or interact with on a limited basis, this could be a touchy subject to bring up. I would love your help in how to ask this politely so I know it's safe for my baby to be around certain people or families. Thanks for all you do. Sarah, this is a tough question. This is a really tough question. When we talk about conversation etiquette, we organize our thoughts often from an etiquette perspective into three tiers. Safe conversation topics, shared experiences, weather, pop culture, current events that aren't too political. <laughs> Uh, tier two conversations, conversations about religion, politics, dating or your love life, potentially controversial topics. And then the most intimate discussions, the tier three discussions involving family, finance or health. And we're talking about a tier three discussion here, a discussion about family and health. And, and it tiptoes into tier two in terms of things like political views and on and religious, and views. religious views and even scientific views. And so there's a lot in here that crops up. We're also dealing with issues of safety mm -hmm. and we are dealing with issues of trying not to judge other people. And I think that that creates quite a soup to have to try and navigate. There's a lot of, of delicacy going on here. And I think that. One of the blanket statements that Dan and I wanted to put out before we tackled this question are that 
number one, you are treading into asking about someone's personal medical history and that and choices. And that always is protected. And that's always something that we have a society as a society have chosen to really try to protect that medical. If someone doesn't want to go there, you just don't go there. Knowing for yourself, because you're in this situation where you're in a measles outbreak and your daughter is too young to get that vaccination, that you are in a position where for safety reasons, you need to be asking a question. You're going to want to balance that with letting people know that you are just trying to gather information and make the best choice for your own child. I think that's the best place to start from. But Dan, this is something that you know a number of people who have to deal with this. Can you talk a little bit about it from the parental perspective? There are several people in my life, very important people in my life, who have not been able to get vaccinated for a number of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And this is a question I've dealt with on a really personal level. And I've struggled with it for all of the reasons that you and I have described. It's, It's complicated in terms of how you have these discussions and have them well. We do say that safety is something that precedes etiquette and that if you are in that situation where you really have to be thinking about someone's safety, then you have to figure out how to make that breach of etiquette and do it in a way that's responsible and in some ways acknowledges the transgression. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things that you do is you make the ask that you have to make. You say, have you been vaccinated? Have your kids been vaccinated? But you're explicit about all your intentions. Mm -hmm. You let someone know that you're asking because you've got an unvaccinated child and it really matters to you. It's something that you've got to ask, that you're okay with any answer, that you want to know so that you can make choices. You're not asking so that you can tell someone that their choices are right or wrong. But you're asking so that you can make choices about how you proceed. For most people – it's going to be a pretty simple one-off ask and answer. The vast majority of people are vaccinated. And yes, we've been vaccinated. Oh, great. So glad to hear it. Move on. Now you're scheduling your play date or the visit to your house. If you happen to get that answer that's, no, we haven't been vaccinated. We haven't done that yet. We Whatever version of the no then have prepared what it is you're going to say. And it's probably something along the lines of, well, because I've got a newborn who's unvaccinated and we live in an area where there's been a measles outbreak, we have a policy where we don't have people that aren't vaccinated over to our house or we don't schedule play dates. And that's it. We're making a choice. We have a policy. We've decided to, for this period of time, those are the things that help someone understand that this isn't so much about them. It's about you and the decisions you're making. Exactly. And that's really what we're talking about here. There are those tier two discussions about vaccines generally, and there would be a whole different set of etiquette guidelines for having a longer discussion about people's views, opinions, religious beliefs, political beliefs, or even personal health care decisions. Yeah, I was going to say medical reasons. Yeah. But you're not necessarily having that entire discussion. In fact, you're doing your best probably to avoid it. Yeah. In this particular situation. 
So from an etiquette standpoint, the goal is to let someone know the situation that you're in, which kind of lets them know why you're seeking the information you're about to ask. Acknowledge that the information you're about to ask about is private and you completely understand if someone chooses not to answer it. It just means that you won't be able to get together during this particular time. And then once you receive the information you need, communicating either positively, oh, great, I'm so happy to hear that. We can we can certainly get together. That won't be an issue. And if the answer is no, we haven't vaccinated, then say, I'm so sorry. Unfortunately, because of the decisions we've made at this time, we won't be able to have the kids get together. But I really appreciate your letting me know so that I could make a good decision for myself. I really like that sample script. That works I would feel comfortable hearing that if (laughs) I was receiving that. Yeah. Gotcha. Sarah, we hope that helps. Doing what you can to help others is an important part of being a good citizen. Our next question is about declining an invitation. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for continuing this simply awesome etiquette tradition. It's so fascinating to learn how the Institute has evolved and continues to do so with your devotion and energy. I am a very reformed Jew, which to me means I observe Jewish celebrations and attend services occasionally, but my participation is more cultural than religious. I have very sweet Jewish friends that live across the street from me. They fall into the category of much more conservative. They attend a Kabad synagogue in our neighborhood, and they invite me to join them for every holiday at Kabad. The truth is, I'm not comfortable with the practices or the overall vibe over there. Men and women are separated during services, and women are not permitted to pray out loud. I don't have judgment that that is what their congregation and their family chooses, but I do not enjoy being there and do not feel spiritually connected there. These friends are very sweet and sensitive. They have very few Jewish friends nearby and repeatedly tell me how much it means to them to celebrate holidays with me. I want to be very thoughtful and kind in this situation, but I don't want to attend services or holidays there, and I also don't want to spend every holiday with their family, even outside of the synagogue. Any ideas on how to most lovingly express this? Thanks for considering my question. Best wishes, Mazel Tov. Mazel tov. Thank you so much for writing in. I like the sign-off. I think that one of the best defenses against an invitation you don't want coming is to already be busy. And so I do suggest around some of the Jewish holidays, make some plans with other friends and do so so that you can say truthfully, I've got other plans this year, but thank you so much. I don't think this is one of those outright conversations you have to have where you tell someone, I don't like the way your congregation observes our faith. I don't think that's necessary. But I do think you are going to have to get comfortable saying some no's to these folks. You might say things like, you know, I'd love to come over before or after the service, you know, and enjoy that time with you. If they push further, why don't you want to come to the service? Then you could say, you know, I don't feel as spiritually connected there as I would like to be. So I'd prefer to not go to the service, but I'd still love to celebrate with you. And I think that it's one of those where you do the decline. If you get asked further about why you're declining, then I think you offer up the explanation and you do it respectfully. You let someone know that I'm so happy it's a place that you find so much faith in and that it's good for you. I have a different experience when I'm there and so I'd rather not attend, but I would like to celebrate with you. Again, knowing that you're going to say no 
to some of the other holidays coming up, I think might make you feel okay about saying yes to a few so that you do spend that time that you enjoy spending with them. To me, when I read your letter and it says how you're aware that this is a connection these folks really appreciate. That's someone who's who's looking at how do I impact the world around me? And this is positive. I don't want to take it away from someone. But I also don't want to be tied to doing things I don't really want to do every single holiday. And I think it's up to you to break that pattern. From an etiquette perspective, saying no is completely okay. There's nothing wrong with it. And things that will be more difficult than the no is ignoring invitations or disassembling or trying to come up with long explanations or excuses. Those are the places where people get themselves into trouble. A simple no, I can't make it this year or no, I've got another plan is is enough and you want to deliver it clearly and quickly. People will get the message after they get a few of these, you might find that you get fewer invitations or they might continue. And I think both of those are pretty good signs. Yes. <laughs> One is that they're picking up the cues and the other is that they're not so offended that they've stopped inviting you. Exactly. Both good outcomes. Having talked a little bit about the no's, I also want to suggest a few possible yeses and maybe it would be a good idea if you want, and this isn't something that you have to do or are obligated to do, Think about ways to invite them to do things that aren't directly connected to religious services. You could send little cards around the holidays. You could invite them over to your house where you get to set the terms for the interaction, both duration and the nature of the experience. I was going to say, and how about with that invite, do it not around a holiday? That way it's just not its not even an, a topic that would come up because there is no holiday to be celebrating. You're looking for common ground and ways to build the relationship outside of attending those particular events together. You're looking for ways to show them that this relationship matters to you, even if that's not the perfect venue for it. And there's lots of good options for that. And I think that's a message that's worth sending, particularly if you are saying no a lot and will help to balance out those no's and make people feel good about the person across the street who they obviously care about. Mazel tov. We wish you the best with this relationship moving forward. It sounds like you are really doing your best to take care with it. Everywhere you go, your manners are with you, and they leave their mark. They help you feel sure of yourself, too, and they make an impression on people, on everyone you meet. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On social media, we are at Emily Post Institute on Instagram. We are Awesome Etiquette on Facebook, and we are at Emily Post Inst on Twitter. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your post so that we know you want your question, comment, or feedback on the show. Today we hear from longtime listener Arya Benjamin. Concerning urban workplace myth in episode 255, I have a different perspective that comes from a bit of a strange direction, but I think it gives the kind of answer that will lead to better personal well-being. In his book, I'm No Hero, Charlie Plum describes being a POW in the Hanoi Hilton for six years. He talks about how living together in very close quarters will lead inevitably to irritating each other with idiosyncratic behaviors. Some of his examples are quite vile. 
As a group, the POWs made the decision to individually take ownership if those feelings, the problem of being bothered by someone else's behavior, was the problem of the person being annoyed. There was simply no other attitude that would allow a person to survive. The same idea is present in the United States Marine Corps Manual. One of the early tenets of the book is tactfulness, always being tactful, regardless of the behavior of your superiors, subordinates, or colleagues, is just expected of every Marine. Even trying to adjust the behavior of others is not conducive to personal success or cohesiveness. None of this is to justify anyone's annoying behavior or to put anyone down for finding things irritating. Accepting that being bothered by the bad behavior of others is something you can control, while their behavior is not, is simply a better solution every single time. That person clipping their toenails is responsible for doing an uncouth thing. I am responsible for my feelings in response to them, and that is where I have control. I don't need to change them, only myself. I thought this might help some listeners. Thank you again for all that you do to help bring etiquette to my life. Aria, thank you for this feedback. There's definitely a nugget here that is a big part of a lot of the advice that we give, that you want to manage the things that you can control in any situation. And often that is simply the best solution in front of you because so often other people aren't under your control. Absolutely. And it's it's a tough one because when we're talking about seeing other people's behavior and how it does impact us, there are moments of direct rudeness. I'm not just talking about like someone whistles at their desk, you know. Um, there are moments of confrontation and those are things where I think you are probably going to end up talking something out or having a discussion about it or having to hear both perspectives. But I do think for the most part, when Dan and I are, are out operating in the world, there is a whole lot of, you know, I'm not going to change that person. I can get around this on my own. So avoiding the confrontation is probably the the way we want to go. I will say that just like naturally, we even try to encourage more confrontation, I think, than we are always comfortable doing ourselves. Like there's a lot of things where I will just let it go because I just don't. I don't want to go there. It's more I can just say, hey, that's not how I would handle it if I were them, but I'm not them. I'm me and they're them. And in the particular situation we were talking about on episode 255, a coworker cutting their toenails at their desk. Ew. I think they were clipping fingernails, but we were thinking of our example in e-learning where the toenails come into play. Yeah. I think the spirit of talking to that person about it is one of trying to be helpful, trying to help clue them into how yep. what they're doing might be seen by others. It's not necessarily about changing them for your benefit. Yeah. Even if that ends up being a bit of the result, if the approach for that whole discussion is one of broccoli on the tooth, I'm trying to help you out, trying to help you avoid further awkwardness or embarrassment. I think that's the spirit where that discussion can be approached that is likely to get the best outcomes. Aria, thank you so much for contributing this. We really appreciate it. We also appreciate you being a long-term listener. Thank you to everyone who sent us your thoughts and questions. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next question, comment, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're jumping back to the realm of entertaining and we're going to talk about the pre-dinner slash cocktail hour. And that is something, it's like a, a 
period of time that I feel a lot of folks look forward to at a party and a lot of folks forget about at a party entirely. <laughs> but what I really love about the, the pre-dinner or the cocktail hour is that it gives guests time to arrive. It allows there to be something going on before the main event, which I think always just as you're gathering, again, it gives people a chance to arrive. It gives people a chance to settle in before jumping straight into a sit-down dinner or kind of a bigger party. I think that's nice. I get to say hi. I get to meet some people I might not know. Some introductions are made. Some polite conversation is had. There's probably some hors d'oeuvres, which is my favorite part of the whole thing. Cheese and crackers, (laughs) some salted nuts. Exactly. So this section can be found on page 294 of Emily Post's Etiquette 19th edition. The pre-dinner or cocktail hour. The pre-dinner hour serves as time for your guests to enjoy themselves while you put the finishing touches on dinner, prepping plates or setting up the buffet or family-style dishes. But be sure to spend time greeting and mingling with your guests. Set aside about an hour before you plan to serve dinner to allow your guests ample time to arrive, mingle, get to know each other, or catch up a little bit before sitting down together. Typically, this is when to serve cocktails, wine, beer, or other refreshments, as well as hors d'oeuvres. Here are some things to think about when planning your cocktail or pre-dinner hour. Dan, tell me if you happen to implement these in your entertaining, which I know is kind of on hold right now as you guys are dealing with the newborn. But We entertain and people bring us food. Yeah, exactly. I think you've set this up really well. All right, so the first point is timing. Have a general idea of how long you'd like your cocktail hour to last based on when you would like to serve dinner and the punctuality of your guests. Tip, create a cocktail hour playlist. You'll know that by song XYZ, you should start clearing away hors d'oeuvres and inviting guests into dinner. What do you think? I love the idea of a timeline and I love the idea of hosts being responsible for keeping on the timeline that the particular tip of a playlist i think is crafty it's I clever that was smart i hadn't realized that was in there getting people to move just from one room to a table in another room can be to use a really <laughs> old expression like herding cats it can be more difficult than it sounds oh they're in the middle of this conversation they're enjoying themselves so much oh i just want to finish this and have one more whatever it is that yeah. that little excuse in people's mind i i like hosts Knowing what their goals are and keeping things moving. Absolutely. Well, you like this next tip, the timeline. Your time. This is a suggested timeline. Your timeline might look like this. 20 minutes of greeting guests, 20 to 30 minutes of mingling, and then 10 to 20 minutes of plating dinner or setting up the buffet or family-style dishes so that dinner's really ready for everyone. And that ends up taking up just about an hour. I know when you first said an hour, I was thinking, boy, that's a long time to mingle and talk to people. It goes so fast. But if it's, oh, it's 10 to 15 minutes of arriving, getting everybody in and settled, Mm -hmm. and then, oh, it's like 20, 30 minutes of talking, and then you start to think about the end of that hour as the transition. So, no, food's actually being served at the end of that hour. (laughs) Speaking of food, what to eat? During this time, you want to consider your dinner menu when you're planning the hors d'oeuvres. For a heavy dinner, you may go light, mixed nuts, olives, some fruit and cheese with crackers. For a light dinner, heavier hors d'oeuvres may help balance out the menu. 
chicken skewers, shrimp cocktail, vegetable dumplings, raw vegetables with heavier dips. First of all, I'm getting really hungry reading this. Heavy hors d'oeuvres, please. I know, right? But I like the idea of thinking to balance. I know that I have all my favorite go-to hors d'oeuvres. They don't all actually balance well together. And so I kind of have to find things that are going to be lighter and heavier depending on what it is that I'm serving for dinner that night. I also try to find things that complement the food that I'm going to be serving but don't exactly mimic it or challenge it. So I, I wouldn't do like a the a chicken satay or, you know, like a curried chicken skewer if we're having curried vegetables and, and some kind of curry dish for dinner. But I might do something lighter that still has some of those flavors or some of those accents in it. Next, we have classic, especially for the cocktail hour, what to drink. It's nice to take your guests' preferences into consideration. Popular options are a full open bar. This is a very popular option, just saying. A lot of people, really, I'm not a heavy drinker at all, but a lot of people really like it when the full bar is open, right? It's appreciated. It's appreciated. A pitcher of a mixed cocktail, that has been a very big trend in the past few years to just mix up one or two cocktails or even mocktails that people can then add whatever kind of alcohol they like to them. People have really been going this direction. I've seen a number of punch bowls come out lately. I think that was really nice. It also uh, gives you a chance to be creative, to experiment, so. try something new, do something a little different without the pressure of having to reproduce it again and again and again. Absolutely. It makes the self-service easy and it also allows for it to be budget friendly. You can serve something really nice but still keep you know, to that one particular type of liquor or something like that. Beer, wine, or champagne, or sparkling wine are all also good options. Remember to include non-alcoholic options as well, sodas, seltzers, and juices. Being that person who often goes for the non-alcoholic option, I can say it is so wonderful to be offered something other than just a seltzer. I love seltzer, but it's also really, really nice to say to hear like, oh, and the punch mix is non-alcoholic, so feel free to, to drink it all you want. <laughs> like That's always nice. You feel like you're included in the main offering. A tip is that the more your cocktail hour can be self-service, the more you'll leave yourself available to greet guests, deal with coats, and make introductions. And also, enjoy yourself. Always so important as a host, enjoy yourself. Ultimately, it's the best etiquette advice for any party. People will maybe remember that picture of cocktails. They will definitely remember the quality of their experience with you, how they felt at your home. Absolutely. One thing not mentioned here is entertainment. And often we see things like dancing or games that get played, played after dinner. But one thing, especially in the summer months, that does seem to happen during the cocktail hour are lawn games. And so don't be surprised if lawn games, you know, whether it's cornhole or croquet or bocce ball, they're all really fun. Those might be things that you can engage with during that hour before dinner. But it does seem to be that the lawn games happen during the cocktail hour, which whereas like the singing, dancing or other games tend to happen afterwards. I like that. I would be so much more comfortable joining in a game of croquet than if someone were to ask me to dance at five in the afternoon. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's it's kind of funny, but it makes it makes a little bit of sense. Well, thank you for spending a little time with us going over the pre-dinner or cocktail hour. I hope more hosts feel confident utilizing this time and doing it well, because I think it certainly makes for a very well-rounded party. 
As Joan is making plans for entertaining a few of her friends at a buffet supper, she asks advice well ahead of time. She has learned that what is correct in terms of etiquette is also highly practical and logical. So she asks what foods she should offer, how it should be served, and what preparation she should make for arranging a buffet supper table. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Mrs. Ellis. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for your show. I listen every week and have an etiquette salute for your podcast. Yesterday, I had a lot of computer work that I'd been working on for weeks and was just about finished when my laptop stopped working. I was barely holding it together while my husband was getting ready to take my laptop straight to the Mac store instead of going to work, which I know he didn't want to do as he also has a mountain of work. Later that day, while I was working to catch up on this project, he cleaned the house while I was in the study for hours. Finally, at the end of the day, I was pretty exhausted and barely had the energy to make dinner when there was a knock at the door. I thought, who on earth is bothering us at this hour? To my surprise, it was a pizza delivery, as my husband had secretly organized vegan pizzas to be delivered. I know you haven't been receiving as many salutes recently, but I feel this is an example of how etiquette starts at home. Sometimes it's easier to be kind to strangers who we don't have to live with or see every day. Being kind and supportive to the most important people in your life is something that is honorable. I'm very grateful to my wonderful husband. He is the model of the Emily Post mantra of consideration, respect, and honesty. He deserves an etiquette salute, Mrs. Ellis. Oh, I love this salute. Boy, I want a Mr. Ellis in my life. Me too. He sounds phenomenal. Mrs. Ellis, thank you so much for writing in. This sounds like such a wonderful husband and wife team. I love this reminder to take care with the people that are the closest to us. So often, those are the people where we... Let our most casual, informal, maybe unconsciously, habitually rude selves come out. And this is such a remarkable reminder about how important those relationships are, how worth they are in investing in. Thank you, Mrs. Ellis and Mr. Ellis. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share the show with your friends, family, and coworkers on social media or wherever you encounter them. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst and at lizzieapost. That's lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please consider leaving us a review. It really helps with our show ranking, and that helps other people find the show. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.